All right, what is up? Welcome back to the pod. What's up, Dan? What's up? Last time we recorded was with uh, Matt K. We're just we're back to uh, the two man squad now. Just two dudes at this time. Yeah, that was a good up. Yeah, it was fun. It was good, and um, we got a couple other guests lined up for upcoming episodes. I think the next one we record after this, um, we're gonna have Connecticut uh, hardcore mayor Kyle Nyland come on and talk some shit. So that'll be fun. Yeah, it should be good. Yeah. Um how was uh audio sounding? You sound good. Okay, cool. How was uh how I saw you Friday. We saw we can talk about that. Uh we uh we watched uh the 93 live action Mario Bros movie on 35 in theaters. Yeah, that was pretty cool. I haven't been to the Philadelphia Film Society yet. And uh it's like one of my I, favorite theaters. They uh they show a lot of really cool stuff there. Um, it's definitely worth going. I've seen a ton of cool shit there and, um, I love to go whenever I get the chance. So that was a, f- a fucking funny one to see. Cause like prior to this, I've seen like seven samurai do the right thing. Like, you know, actual really good acclaimed films. And then seeing fucking John, Le- dude, I'm going to be honest, bro. I used to love that Mar- that movie when I was a kid. And we won't get too much into it because a uh, little spoiler alert, we are going to do uh, a double feature episode where we do the live action Mario Bros movie and the new one once it's out. But uh, we, um, yeah, dude, I, I thought I was going to watch it and be like, this is terrible, but I loved it when I was a little kid, you know, whatever. But I just thought it was pretty good, better than I expected it to be. I, I don't even know the last time I watched it. I was definitely a child, but I feel like there's been over the last like i don't know 10 or 15 years or so there's been like a uh i guess like a internet movement of like film critics being like oh this movie's a pile of shit it fucking sucks and fun it, it's definitely not true to the game at all which is fine it's just more of like a 90s kids comedy movie yeah and you know what it's a lot of fun yeah i had a great time watching it a lot we of the were- jokes are great we were laughing in the theater. Yeah, it was awesome. We were cracking up. Um, after that, we went our separate ways. How was the rest of your weekend? Uh, <laughs> all over the place. I, uh, Skyler and I, after we came back Saturday, we watched Scary Movie one and two, and then we went to go see classic, sick of it all, and Life of Agony, fifteen minutes from my house. How was that? Uh. I'll be honest, I paid $64 for two tickets and it made me feel like the Joker, especially because <laughs> I didn't know a single sick of it all song until they played Scratch the Surface and Step Down. God. I was like, I don't know what any of these fucking songs are. Like they played Clobber in Time and Injustice System, but outside of that, I was like, I don't fucking know any of these songs, so I'm not having fun. And Life of Agony. I mean, I, we talked about it, and I was like, we'll leave after Bad Seed, because the rest of the record after that is, like, fine until The Stain Remains, which is an awesome song, but getting to it takes, like, 20 minutes, and I, yeah. I didn't care enough. Uh, it started with them playing War Pigs, the whole song, over the PA. Oh, my God. That's so punishing. And then they did the the intro to the record, 
They played with every single interlude, which was so punishing. So they're doing all the interludes. Uh, Mina was not singing the right words. Not on time. Just not even trying. It was the last day of the tour, so she was out of it. Uh, the They played underground, obviously, this time. Like, oh, it was River Runs Red front to back. So I was like, okay, this is all right. And then they did the, was it like Thursday or Friday or whatever, the, the interlude before Bad Seed? Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I'm not a huge LOA head, admittedly. So I, I, I guess I'll take your word for whatever, but I'm not either. I just like that record. But, they did the interlude before Bad Seed. You could just see Mina step off stage and hit a line of coke. Awesome. <laughs> she co- she comes back on. They start playing Bad Seed. She's just not singing any of the words. Insane. <laughs> so I looked at Skylar and I said, I'm good to go. They're like, yeah, me too. Good God, brother. Insanely <laughs> bleak. And today we, we thrifted and fucking watched Scary Movie 3. So overall pretty good. Scary Movie 3, when I was younger, the, the part in Scary Movie 3, the joke where they keep showing this like the state trooper, and every time they show the state trooper, the hat gets bigger and bigger. Every time. <laughs> Still good. Dude, that was like the best joke of all time to me when I was like 10 years old or whatever. You know, after watching all three of them for the first time in like, I don't know, maybe 10 years, the third one is, is the best one. You think so? Yeah, I... I think so. It, I remember all the jokes from it. I don't know if it's nostalgia or not, but everything Leslie Nielsen in the third one is God tier. Dude, he's so good. Everything he does in the movie straight up killed me. Uh, the rap scene, all the eight mile shit is hilarious. Yeah, dude, I don't really remember the first one and two that much because I don't. I don't. I feel like I didn't see them nearly as much as the third one. Do they like parody other stuff outside of horror movies in the first two movies too? In the first one, it's mostly scream. It's it's pretty much just scream and like uh Blair Witch for like a quick second. Yeah. And like I I like teen nineties movies. Like rom-coms. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I forget the, the, like, kind of parody, like, um, fucking, like, American Beauty, I think, don't they? Because there's, yeah. like, a guy yeah. with camera. They do American Beauty. And then the second one is, like, Poltergeist and House on Haunted Hill and Charlie's Angels and The Matrix. Dude, but yeah, the third one is God's here. Third one what, is still the best one. What a weird time where, like, there was a whole genre of comedy movies, which, I mean, I know people have talked about it before. It's like, dude, they don't even make comedy movies anymore, let alone, like, the, like just parodies. Literally just, just, like, spoofs, you know? Well, they killed them. Like, the studio that made Scary Movie 3 also killed them by beating it into the ground because they did like it was like superhero movie disaster disaster movie movie and shit yeah yeah and there was like the van helsing one i can't remember what that was called maybe like a monster movie or something like that i don't remember exactly and then there's like scary movie five and six and then uh 
the Wayne's brothers did their own. Where what was it? Fucking haunted house or something like that. So they like murdered the shit out of it by first cornering the market and then just killing it entirely. Dude, the side note, speaking of spoofs and, you know, well, I guess it's not a side note. It's related, but speaking of spoofs and Leslie Nielsen, it's funny because I feel like all of those movies can be traced back to airplane, which I don't know if you're an airplane guy. Oh yeah. Dude. Airplane is probably like top five funniest movies ever made. Yeah. Airplane naked gun. Dude. I mean, I think naked gun is good, but I don't think it holds a candle to airplane, dude. Airplane's probably funnier in the the long run. It's been so long since I've seen it. I remember just staying home from school and being sick and seeing it on like comedy central or like AMC. Yeah. Dude, That's it's classic shit. Kids it, say they don't know about staying home from school and just watching watch, Comedy Central all day. Just watching Airplane, bro. <laughs> airplane, airplane is so insane because there's there's not there is not two minutes. Uh, there's not even forty five seconds that goes by in that movie without like some sort of bit happening. It's like nonstop for two hours straight, and there's often too. There's like multiple bits going on at once you know there will be like there will be like some sort of like visual gag going on in the background while there's like jokes like dialogue jokes being made it's fucking crazy the clip at which that movie just like dumps jokes on you is unbelievable yeah airplane god i haven't seen it in so fucking long i might i might have to rewatch it this week You should. It's really funny. There's a website that uh, has um, every joke in airplane ranked from uh, worst to best. And it's like an aggregate score off of like points being assigned by like a panel. It's it's insane, but you should watch it. And they have like a breakdown of each joke. There's like hundreds of jokes in that movie. Fuck. That's awesome. Dude, it's so insane. Um, Yeah. Comedy movies are dead just in general. They don't make them anymore. Um, I think it's it's probably too late for them to come back. We're getting real into the minutia of it, but yeah, uh, comedy movies are just dead. And I, I I wish for a resurgence. Yeah, I do too, but it it probably will never happen because now comedy movies aren't comedy movies; they're fucking MCU movies, are and like Dungeons and Dragons. You know what I mean? Yeah, Pete and I actually talk about this quite a bit, where we're like, yeah, comedy movies are just straight up dead. Now it's like a comedy movie is like Ant Man. Yeah, or whatever. Like, it, ever, there's no just straight up comedy movies anymore. They have to be like action comedy or some shit. Yeah, there's like, the, yeah, it, it is what it is. Um, but yeah, Bullet Train. Uh, Bullet Train is like a perfect example of that movie. Is I dope, liked, but I did like Bullet Train though. Yeah, it was awesome. But that's like a prime example of like it just can't be a comedy. It has to be action comedy. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um. Did you see anything else? Any other trailers? Anything else you wanted to talk about? Yeah. Uh, I saw a trailer for this movie called Malum, which okay. is a remake of a horror movie that came out in like 2014 called Third Shift. But it's the same director doing it, just with like a actual studio budget instead of it being a, an indie film. Oh, that's cool. 
Yeah, it's getting kind of like trashed on Letterboxd, but I thought Third Shift was kind of cool. What's the what's the new one called? Nalum? Malum. M-A-L-U-M. Interesting. It's about this cop that does like a third shift and then supernatural shift happens at this station. Huh. See, like in 2023, that would be like a horror comedy movie. Yeah, it, except I don't I don't need a horror comedy. Yeah, I mean, bit. like I don't need the the comp, the comedic relief and that shit. I just want a straight up horror movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, you see anything? Nah, I've been, I've, no, I've been uh, watching movies for the pod. I've been, I keep trying to go see John Wick four, but I haven't been able to for one reason or another. So, um, if I don't, if I don't see it before it exits theaters, that will be that will be my Joker moment probably. I'm going to try to see it this week. So hopefully next time we record, uh, we could talk, we could both talk about it. Yeah, we'll see. Um, anyway, should we, uh, should we jump into the flick? Because this is one that, uh, I'm going to have a lot to say about. Yeah, this is, this is a you movie straight up. I mean, so yeah, we did, uh, today's episode. We watched the good, the bad and the ugly. Um, this is the best movie ever made. Um, Usually I would preface that and say, you know, in my opinion, this is the best movie ever made. But like, I kind of believe at this point, maybe I'm just like buying into my own bullshit. Um, But uh, at this point, I kind of believe this goes beyond just being my favorite movie. And this I really do kind of think that objectively, this is the best movie ever made. Like very at the very least. It, it goes beyond being the best Western movie ever made. And it goes into like, this is the best movie ever made that falls under any sort of like epic action adventure type drama movie ever made for me. Yeah. I mean, uh, just off the top, I gave it five on Letterboxd. I think uh, the influ- the influential nature of the film alone that's it an easy five when something is like parodied throughout pop culture even decades after a movie is released it in my eyes at least deserves a a classic attachment to the movie but yeah some I mean, sort of like award in, in that re- like regard so for for people who don't know uh it came out in 1966 it was directed by sergio leone um Sergio Leone is uh, an Italian director who kind of invented, if he didn't invent, he certainly was, is like the most associated director with spaghetti Westerns, which were like the, uh, you know, Spanish and Italian Westerns. Um, They're like made by Italian filmmakers. A lot of them were filmed in Spain. Like a lot of this movie was filmed in Spain and they're just like, Obviously, I mean, we're talking about comedies being dead. Like, Westerns are, like, beyond dead, you know? In certain aspects, I mean, you get you get something like The Mandalorian that takes influence from the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, so, well, I mean, people, I don't know if people realize this, but Blondie or The Man With No Name, Boba Fett is just, is, I mean, it's not even like a, it's like not a subtle thing. Like George Lucas has said it like Boba Fett is supposed is just 100% the man with no name. Yeah, that's awesome. 
Like if you look at pictures of them side by side, they like the way they stand, the way they talk um, visually, they're like pretty similar. Like Boba Fett wears that like poncho cape thing over one arm the way that Blondie does. Yeah. I I didn't even think about that until you put it into perspective like that. Yeah. Yeah, George George Lucas has specifically come out and said that Boba Fett is is based on that character. So, pretty cool. Um but yeah, I mean so this movie is part of a trilogy. Um it's the 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 Dollars trilogy is what it's called or the Man with No Name trilogy. Um first one is um a fistful of dollars, which is actually like almost shot for shot, just a remake of Yojimbo. Um, to the See, point- I didn't know that about that until I sent you that little thing I saw on Twitter where, uh, fuck, what's the name of the dude that directed Akira Kurosawa? Kurosawa, yeah, he sent the letter to Sergio Leone, essentially saying, "You stole my movie." Yeah, they they were like a, insane were like legal action taken over it. I'm pretty sure. But uh in that that movie's like awesome, but it's like you can tell it's kind of like he's kind of figuring it out, you know. Um the next one for a few dollars more is like absolutely classic. It's so fucking unbelievable. And you watch it, if you watch them in order, you're just like, yo, there's no fucking way. I mean how many trilogies really is the third one the best one? It's really rare, I feel like, you know? I would have said John Wick 3, but I feel like 4 is probably going to be the best one now. Yeah, well, fair enough. I mean, and it's just like, so you you hit the second one, you watch it for a few dollars more. It's like an absolutely incredible movie, and you don't think it can get any better. And this is just like, it, it, it's almost, it's going to be hard for me to even narrow down what to talk about about this movie. Because it's just like everything about it is just is just perfect to me. Um, I've I've like through getting into these movies like as a kid because these are like these movies are like my dad's shit and he used to like you know be really into them and he he's like a huge western guy and he like put me on all kinds of westerns when I was younger and that's how I got into them. And at the time, it's like it's interesting because the American westerns at the time or like prior that was like the MCU equivalent or the, the movie equivalent to like MCU now, it's like, that was what was dominating like popular cinema. You know, it was like, like John Wayne Westerns and shit, but those like are really, really. And I like some of those movies. Like I think the Magnificent Seven is like a great movie um, for what it is. But like a lot of those movies, they just portray the West in a way, like the American West in a way that's just like so clear cut, like, good guys and bad guys and like everything is so like there's no moral ambiguity and so like a lot of the like spaghetti westerns at the time especially the sergio leone movies were like a response to that being like well most of these motherfuckers were weird like opportunistic pieces of shit and that's like really what you see in this movie is just like so the three title characters the good the bad and the ugly um the the quote-unquote good who's Clint Eastwood, like, he's not even really a very good character. He's just kind of, like, morally... He's there. The, yeah, he's, like, the best of the three, morally. I mean, he... I would pretty much, if you were doing, like, 
the fucking D&D alignment chart, he's pretty much like true neutral. You know what I mean? Yeah, he doesn't really even have like his character is so fascinating and I'm sure there's been thousands of papers written about Blondie. Yeah. Over the course of however many years and all these different like film study classes because he doesn't really even he doesn't want I mean the the plot of the movie is three men are chasing a cache of gold in during the Civil War that's in the graveyard. And he he doesn't even want the money. Yeah, he's he's still on for the ride almost. Yeah, he like kind of just he has this he almost has this sort of like he feels like this weird sort of like like Deus Ex Machina like God character almost. He feels like fucking Tom Bombadil from Lord of the Rings. Like I don't know if you ever read Lord the Lord of the Rings books, but like he feels like this character that's just like he's there and he's so neutral. And he's just he's just kind of like he doesn't really express a lot of emotion. I mean, there's like the scene when Tuco's like getting ready to hang him. And he's just so like so calm about it. He's just kind of just like, yeah, fucking it is what it is. You know what I mean? And then he gets saved by the cannon fire from the Civil War battle that's going on. And it's just like shit like that happens where it's just like he just almost feels like this godlike character. You know what I mean? Yeah, he he does too because there's the scene where Angel Eyes interrogates Tuco about the money and beats the living piss out of him. And then he brings in Blondie and he's like, you're going to talk? And he goes, nope. And he goes, that's why I thought you're coming with me. Yeah. There's like almost a, a mutual respect amongst the bad and the good in that, in that one scene alone. Yeah. Um, it's, it's really incredible to see. I mean, so the, at the crux of the movie is just these three characters. Um, and this movie could be a classic just on its, on the, those three characters alone, not to mention that the whole way it's written and shot and, and every edited and every other aspect is like incredible, but just those characters alone, like the dichotomy of the three of them, seeing the way they interact seeing the way they kind of like kind of ebb and flow out of each other's paths to like towards trying to race to get to this fucking gold cash, you know? And it's like watching their interactions and the way that they play off of each other. Um, It's just so fucking crazy how well it's done. And it's, it's definitely the perfect combination of acting and writing too, you know, and directing as well. Um, Clint Eastwood's character is probably the most recognizable one. But I mean, Lee Van Cleef is like, who plays Angel Eyes, who's the bad, is he's in like a shitload of other Westerns, including spaghetti Westerns. I mean, he's in this movie called The Big Gun Down, which is like another like classic spaghetti Western. Um, We kind of got in, I kind of got into it a little bit, but the thing that's crazy is like the spaghetti Westerns are so, are like, you know, more morally ambiguous and they're a lot like grittier and more violent than the American Westerns at the time. Um, But a lot of them feel really cheap when you watch them. And this one, this is like, it has the like kind of grandiose, like just like epicness 
of like an American Hollywood Western, but with like the grit and violence of the spaghetti Western. And that's why it's like so perfect because it's the the combination of the two, you know? Um, but yeah, Lee Van Cleef, he's in a bunch of spaghetti Westerns, but he always plays a good guy. Um, and in just like over years and years of like reading about this movie, I've, I've watched it with every like commentary track that I could ever get my hands on to watch it with. That's like how obsessed I am with this movie. They always make note of contextualizing Lee Van Cleef as the bad guy is fucking crazy because he's so cast against what he's typically cast as, as the good guy in all those movies, even to the point where in the previous movie, um, for a few dollars more, he plays a good guy in the movie, which is super weird, but it's kind of sick, you know? One thing in my notes, and this is one of my favorite things in the whole movie, is the chemistry between Clint Eastwood and Tuco. I don't remember the actor's name, but their chemistry is pretty great. Yeah, Eli Wallace. The moment, the moment that Lee Van Cleef and Clint Eastwood are together for like, I don't know, it's about like 20-ish minutes. That might be the highlight of the whole movie. The chemistry they share on screen together is like, it's so dynamic and it draws you in. They well, both so- just bounce off of each other and it's it's great. Yeah, it's so perfect because it's like, I think the reason that they the two of them work together so well is Clint Eastwood's character, Blondie, is so cool and collected and like stoic and shows very little range of emotion. And that's like where his charisma comes from is just how fucking just like chill and like cool and aloof he is as to where Tuco's character, Eli Wallach, is like, He's such a fucking rat bastard and he's always like conniving and he's so emotional. What And it's, he's always doing this like sometimes he's doing like the fake nice guy act when it benefits him and it's so over the top. And when he's not doing the face, the fake nice guy act, he's like fucking like screaming and cursing and like just like just being like a scumbag. And so watching this like dude who's just like got this crazy range of like emotions and he's just so animated and fucking weird and crazy next to this fucking dude who's just like ice cold i think that's where the the cool you know chemistry comes from between the two of them yeah lee van cleef in the whole movie is nuts every every scene with angel eyes is pretty insane and intense especially the the opening where he's looking for bill carson at this farmer's house and the whole scene of him just sitting there eating dinner, the guy knows he's going to die. The guy who's being interrogated knows he's he's going to fucking die because essentially nobody escapes from Angel Eyes. Mm. And it's just it, the, the way he acts in the movie is awesome. Angel Eyes is fucking crazy antagonist. Yeah, he's, and, he's go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say like a lot of Westerns like See, this is why I never really like dug too deep is because a lot of Westerns, like you said in the beginning, are very black and white. The villain is very one note, not very interesting. It usually comes down to like cowboys versus Native American type shit. Mm. And that's not really like fascinating to me. But this movie having Lee Van Cleef as the villain, who's just like almost this deranged serial killer type character, is pretty fucking sick. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, so one thing that's interesting to me about the movie is that in 
the, the so the way that it's god this fucking movie is so good the way that they introduce each character at the beginning when they show them when they show their title of each character on screen each character kills three people in their in their introduction scene i noticed and, that I'm a big fan of that so they're all <clears throat> that's like the establishment right away that like none of these dudes are fucking heroic dudes none of these dudes are out here they're not saints they're all bastards but angel eyes kills an innocent farmer and his son and his wife you know tuco kills three bandits who are like coming for him for presumably something that he did to pit to like because he's just or because he's wanted for thousands of dollars and blondie kills three guys because he's saving tuco from these bounty hunters so they all kill people but the nature they all kill three people but the nature of the people that they kill shows like that they're all kind of pieces of shit but it's like a varying degree of what a piece of shit they are you know what i mean yeah and like we said in the beginning blondie is just kind of this this neutral force i mean in the beginning of the movie you think it's going to be a, mostly a, a team up with tuco and blondie because they're like going from town to town just kind of cashing in bounties that tuco has and then blondie is getting away with tuco and they're going to do it again someplace else until he has a spill of tuco like bitching and moaning essentially yeah that scene is awesome where he just is like i've had enough of this i'm leaving you in the desert yeah, yeah. As soon as well, that's the thing. It's like that's really what it comes down to. Is like so much of this movie is like emphatic on like showing how these motherfuckers are so just like all they care about is money, you know. And like as soon as Tuco's like, "Yo, man, this little s- scam that we're running here, all the danger's on me, so I need a bigger cut of the money." As soon as he says that, Blondie's like, "Yeah, he's over it." You know what I mean? He's done with it. Um. But yeah, it's 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 there's there's a bunch of other examples throughout the movie um that really emphasize just how money is just like seen by these dudes as like more important than their lives at certain points. Like the very ending scene when Blondie's riding off and he leaves Tuco uh strung up in the noose, they just show Tuco just keeps looking at the gold that's on the ground in front of him. He, it just keeps cutting to him looking at it and cutting to the gold. And it's like, dude, you're literally about to die. And all you can focus on is like this gold that you, you know what I mean? And it's like, they really do value getting that Confederate gold more than they care about their lives at that point. I mean, through the whole movie, that's just kind of the vibe, you know? Yeah. I. There's a lot of moral ambiguity between at least with Blondie's character, Angel Eyes and Tuco, I wouldn't say they're they're one note characters because there's more dimension to them and what what they go through. I mean, Tuco is essentially trying to save Blondie's life at one point because he's like Tuco tortures him almost to death, and Blondie's able to get information from a the dying Bill Carson about where this money is stashed. And in that process, this is skipping ahead a little bit, but in that yeah. process, you meet Tuco's brother, who's the total opposite of him, a priest. And they share a dialogue along the lines of Tuco essentially shitting on his brother for not being a bandit and not doing wanting to do the hard work that he went through. Yeah. I thought that scene was pretty, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, dude, that's like 
And that's a that's a really good character building scene too. When they when they drive away, when Blondie and Tuco are leaving from the the mission after Tuco has that conversation with his priest brother, and his brother's just like, "You're a piece of shit, man. Like fuck you. Like you know our my our our mother and father are dead, and you don't know, and like whatever. Like you're a scumbag. Like whatever." And they're leaving, and Tuco's just like lying to blondie doesn't know that blondie was listening to the whole conversation and he's just like yeah my brother loves me you know every time i come see him you know uh he begs me to stay it's good for me to know that no matter what i always got a brother somewhere who's gonna offer me a meal and whatever and blondie's just kind of like in that moment blondie feels bad for him he's just like here you want to he's like damn man like he just like you realize how pathetic tuco is in that scene you know and blondie you see the the gears turning in clint eastwood's head where blondie's just like damn, this dude is a pathetic son of a bitch. And like, he offers him like the cigar as like a token of just being, you know, pity. And it's just like, I mean, that doesn't last long because then Tuco's like weird, shysty idiocy gets them into trouble shortly thereafter. But yeah, I mean, that's like a, a really like kind of tender moment between the two of them. That's like few and far between in the movie, but it does happen, you know? Yeah, the character development throughout the movie is really good too. One thing I made a note of as well as going back to my own gripe with a lot of Westerns is the dialogue is like so over the top and like of the time with a lot of 50s and 60s stuff. The dialogue in this movie is pretty good. It moves at a a great pace. Yeah. The dialogue between Tuco and Blondie really is great and then once angel eyes is introduced into blondie's path it's like it, it gets so much better even from there yeah i mean there's a lot of it's there's so many classic lines in the movie you know what i mean there's so much quotable shit um i feel like the dialogue is you can see the dialogue in the way that the the just like conversational scenes happen that is super influential you can see in a bunch of tarantino movies um which this movie in general, Tarantino has openly said that this is his favorite movie of all time. And he thinks it's the best movie ever made. Um, You can see the dialogue. You can see the influence in like the way he paces his movies too. And you can see it in like a lot of like the style, the way he does like text on screen for things and stuff like that. All that is just like straight up totally aped from this movie, you know? I mean, a three-way duel also isn't the most original thing, but. Reservoir Dogs does the three-way duel from this movie. Yeah. At the end of Reservoir Dogs. So there you go. A a lot of the dialogue too, like referencing stuff that isn't on screen yet or characters that aren't on screen. I mean, that's like Tarantino's bread and butter for every single one of his movies. And that's a lot of this movie. The first like hour is them, is Angel Eyes talking about Bill Carson. You have no idea who the fuck this guy is until he shows up essentially dead on arrival. Yeah. (laughs) it's 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 really so the way the movie is set up and the way it's paced is like you get introduced to tuco right out the gate then you get introduced to angel eyes and then you get introduced to blondie and and it shows them on screen it gives like a quick kind of few minutes you see them kill their three people and in those three minutes it sets up like the motivations for each character the vibe of each character and then just kind of what their trajectory is going to be. You know what I mean? And in doing so, it starts to sow the seeds for the whole plot overarching, but it doesn't, it's really compartmentalized. And it's like each character gets their moment. 
you get what's going on, you understand, and then it moves on to setting up kind of what the whole adventure and conflict is going to be. And really, this movie, essentially, there's like a good hour of setup before things really start to get rolling, you know? I was about to say that the first hour is just character development. Yeah. And world building. Yeah, it's awesome. And the thing is, too, that this movie does so fucking well. And it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel bloated. It's crazy because this is a three-hour movie. And it sucks because there's this is a number one movie I recommend to people all the time. Like, yo, this is my favorite movie ever. It's fucking amazing. You should watch it. And as soon as they're like, oh, it's three hours, I'm not going to fuck. You know, like, I get it. It's kind of a hard sell. But it doesn't feel like a three-hour movie. Like, you don't feel bored. It doesn't drag at any point. They talk about movies where, like, there's there's no fat to be trimmed. This is one of them, you know? There's no scenes that feel unnecessary. There's no shots that feel unnecessary. Everything is, like, perfect. It serves its purpose. And it's like, it's just, it's just all right where it needs to be, you know? Yeah, I agree. I think the way I ended up watching the movie kind of hindered my enjoyment somewhat because I, I watched it on this app called Pluto, which is kind of like Tubi. It's like a, a free movie or TV show app that has advertisements built into it. Yeah. And the movie went from being like two hours and 46 minutes to almost four hours because the ads would pop up like every 15 minutes and they were like two and three minute long ads and they weren't programmed into a way that made sense during like a lull. It would be like the canon scene is like the perfect example where Blondie's about to get hung by Tuco. Literally like the canon shot and then add, and then 15 minutes pass and they're like getting out of the town, yeah. another ad. So the way that was broken up for me was like, honestly kind of punishing. And it took so long to get so much longer to get through this already massive movie. So that I wouldn't say it, it ruined the movie for me, but if you're going to watch this, I would try to, I would just find the easiest way to watch it. That isn't that whether it be on Amazon or whatever. I would have let you borrow the Blu-ray, man. (laughs) I mean, I had other ways of watching, but I was like, oh, I'll try this shit out. And the way that Pluto works is kind of asinine. And really, the ads are so brutal and punishing. It's not like Tubi where it's like, oh, it's been 30 minutes. Here's one ad. God. But the again, the movie is fucking, it is long. And I, I think watching it in parts probably serves maybe like the viewer better. I don't know if I agree with that. To be honest, like I think you should watch this movie front to back. I will say that this watch around, I did watch it in chunks, but I've seen the movie so many fucking times that it just doesn't matter. I think the first time you see it, it really is worth it to take the time and sit down and dedicate the time to watching it front to back. Um, Clear out a couple hours. The movie is uh. The payoff at the end is pretty crazy. Dude, the ending, it's the... So, first of all, the there's so many payoffs in the movie because the movie does a really good job. There's a lot of subplots in the movie. And even if they're just little things, every subplot that happens is clear, it serves a purpose, it's concise, and it wraps up nicely. There's no, like, weird plot threads that are left hanging. Everything has is, like, 
nicely, neatly wrapped up. Um, like the, the union captain at the bridge is like a good example. Like you meet this character, he's this fucking dude who's like so over fighting the war and he's just become like an alcoholic and he's put there to like guard this fucking bridge from the Confederates. And he's just like, I don't even fucking care about this bridge. I hate this bridge so much because it represents the, the civil war and it represents this fucking conflict that thousands of people are dying and war is hell and we're put into this fucking hell. And he just hates the fucking bridge so much and talks about how like in his wildest dreams, he imagines it just like disappearing or blowing up. And then they end up actually blowing up the bridge to get the soldiers to disperse so that they can just carry on. And it's the last thing that the fucking, so the, the cap, the Confederate or uh, union captain or general or whatever sees he sees it, he fucking smiles, and then he's just like, he can die happy, and he just fucking dies. And it's like that sort of character building and that sort of also cont contribution to this kind of looming theme that like, even though this isn't necessarily a Civil War movie, there's so much about the Civil War baked into the movie, you know? Yeah, I think it's it's all handled well. I don't think that there's anything that's handled half-assedly or like kind of shittily like i think the themes of the war are going pretty well especially like where they are in the country like geo the geographic setting in which the movie would take place like yeah it's it's not like a a focal point in school where the like western side like i don't know like west of the mississippi is like discussed in terms of like school and shit like that. So it's, it's interesting to see that play out historically in this movie. Yeah. Well, the movie takes place in New Mexico and it's, it's also, like you said, like geographically, it's, it's not in the North or the South. And so like they interact with union dudes and they interact with Confederate dudes, like, and it kind of just doesn't really matter. It's just like, it's not really presenting it as the civil war being a conflict where they have any sort of vested interest in one side or the other. It's just like sort of this like horrific atrocity that is just taking place regardless of who's right and who's wrong. You know what I mean? And that sort of is just something that they kind of emphasize. And it's just like, it's just looming over them and it kind of influences the way that their adventure plays out but they don't really have any stake in it. They don't fucking care. They're just like these fucking scumbags who are trying to get money, you know? Yeah. All it is is the three characters looking for a payday. Yeah. I, uh, I really like the way that the three characters try to like get an edge on top of each other. Like Tuco is essentially torturing Clint Eastwood in like at the end of the first act. Yeah because he abandoned him and he catches up to him. And then Clint Eastwood gets the upper hand by getting the name of the grave, which is Arch Stanton, mm -hmm. that the money is buried in. And he, he plays Tuco like that because it's not the grave at all. It's yeah. actually an unmarked grave. And Tuco can't read. That's a whole thing with this character is that he can't fucking read at all. And he's a, a huge fuck up throughout the movie too. It's yeah. pretty funny. Like, he brings him to the wrong camp to, like, seek aid. And then he has to travel to, like, what is it, like, San Antonio or something like that. 
Yeah, some mission where his brother is like the priest. Yeah. Yeah. And then you meet his brother just so Clint Eastwood could get help so he could bring him to this money. And then Tuco tells Angel Eyes about it. Angel Eyes beats the fucking shit out of him with this weird little henchman. And then they bring Blondie along just as like collateral almost. It's very, very good. Very good, like character motivations. Yeah. And that scene too, where they kind of, where the three of them kind of cross paths in the, uh, in the union um, prison camp does such a good job at establishing like what kind of dudes these are. And like, just like, it's, it's so subtle. It's such a minor detail, but it does so much for your understanding of the characters in that they see angel eyes and they're like, up until this point, Blondie and Tuco haven't crossed paths with Angel Eyes at all. And they're just like, yo, is that Angel Eyes? It's like, yeah, that's fucking Angel Eyes. And it's like them knowing who he is, even though they haven't met in the movie at all, is just this establishment that it's just like, yo, these dudes are just like career criminals. They kind of just run in the same circles and they all and they're all part of this sort of like like Western bandit criminal underworld, you know, and they all just know each other. So, like, that is such a cool little detail to where, like, if you don't understand that, I could, like, I've watched the movie with people before and they've been like, wait, how do they know who that is? They haven't seen him yet. That doesn't make any sense. And it's just like, no, it's like the implication is that these are just scumbag criminals. They take jobs. They work with other scumbag criminals. They're around. They know each other. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, so in the Confederacy Confederacy camp, they lie or Tuco lies that his name is Bill Carson. Angel Eyes brings him in for questioning, realizes that he's Tuco, and kind of lures Tuco into this false sense of security. Like he's giving him food, he's being polite and talking to him. And then everything changes in one instant and he's tortured, he's beaten just to find out where this money is. Yeah. And I think. I can't remember if it's Blondie or Tuco, but one of them says something to him along the lines of, "Do the does the, the army know who you are? Do they know about Angel Eyes, and that he's been concealing this I, secret identity essentially from the people he's around most of the time?" Yeah, it's just like there's so much. The movie is so multifaceted. There's so many layers to it, and it's one of those movies where every time you watch it you notice something else and there's so much more detail to pick apart and things like that. And it's just, it all comes back to just the way it's written is so tight. There's, it's just perfect. Everything makes sense. Everything happens for a reason, even the slightest little things, you know what I mean? I mean, even just like coming back to, like I said about the subplots that just kind of like he plants these seeds throughout the movie and they all get wrapped up the very opening scene of the movie when the three guys are trying to collect the bounty on Tuco and they run up on him in the restaurant and he smokes them and clears it. The one guy who he, who survives, but just gets his arm shot off. That dude comes back into the movie literally two hours later. He's just been out on the fucking frontier, just trying to find Tuco to get back at him for shooting his arm off. And it's just like collectively that, that introduction scene serves its own purpose which is to set up who the ugly tuco is as a character 
they don't need to ever bring that guy back. They didn't need to do that. You know what I mean? But they bring him back two hours later and he's in a scene for me. He's on screen for like two minutes and it wraps up the subplot from earlier. It contributes to fucking Tuco's character development. And it also gives you one of the coolest scenes in the entire movie. Yep. It Sergio Leone. I got to really dive into his filmography because this movie is unreal. It's, so fascinating start to finish and it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like a movie of its time yeah a lot of 60s movies feel of the time this feels i don't know in in terms of character driven stories this feels just as relevant as i'm sure it did in 66 even though i was reading that this movie was kind of like seen as a failure for a little bit yeah, I mean, it was it was shit on when it came out. Um, people kind of thought spaghetti westerns were like just trash. People thought they were just like garbage, like violent exploitation movies. Um, really funny. I actually in my notes have this quote um, where Roger Ebert, he gave the movie three stars originally. And then years later, he did this interview where he called it and he said, he described it as a four-star movie, but only gave it three stars, perhaps because it was a spaghetti Western and therefore could not be art. Like, that was just the way that those movies were seen at the time. Um, and if you watch a lot of other spaghetti Westerns that aren't Sergio Leone movies, I get it. Like, they're awesome, but they're they're kind of, like, trashy almost. You know what I mean? Yeah, that makes sense. I this is This is just straight-up art. Oh, it's fucking incredible. It's cinema. And I'll Not say to this, be uh, nerdy like that, but no, it really is. And I'll say this. If you are interested or anyone else is interested in diving into his movies, he really doesn't have that many. Um, And I'll say this. He's got five unbelievable spaghetti Westerns. So the three that are part of uh, the dollars trilogy, which is fistful of dollars, few dollars more, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Then he's got another one called Once Upon a Time in the West. Once Upon a Time in the West is after uh, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And originally he was trying to get Clint Eastwood cast in it. And Clint Eastwood wasn't interested in doing it anymore because he did these three movies. And he said that during the filming of The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, Sergio Leone was such an insane perfectionist that it was like too hard on him. He didn't want to do it again. But Once Upon a Time or Once Upon a Time in the West then conceivably could have been another movie in the Dollar series. Because the three movies are kind of like, they're not really connected. They're just sort of happening. Um, even the only establishment that this is a prequel to the first two is that it takes place in the Civil War as to where just from like background information, the other two take place after the Civil War. And there's the poncho that uh, Clint Eastwood's character wears throughout the first two movies. He finds it at the end of this movie, which is such a cool little Easter egg payoff too. Um, it's like, that's how he gets his poncho, which is like his iconic wardrobe. You see the moment when he finds it on the dying soldier and takes it off of him right before the final, uh, like scene. Um, but yeah, if you're interested, there are, uh, there are a lot of people who say once upon a time in the West is better than the good, the bad and the ugly for me, it's like one a and one B they're very, very, very close. Um, I, I like the good, the bad and the ugly better. But Once Upon a Time in the West might be my second favorite movie ever, to be honest with you. We should do that. 
down the yeah. line for the podcast. It's, it's I amazing. think that'd be another good one. And then uh, he's got a fifth spaghetti western called Duck You Sucker, which is also an incredible movie. It's a little bit weirder. It takes place a little bit later. It's not like Civil War. It's like early 1900s at like the very like last days of like the West as a thing. Um, And it has all these kind of like really weird political concepts going on. Um, And just like it's it's definitely strange, but it's awesome. Um, He also blows up a bridge in that movie, too. I think Sergio Leone just fucking loves blowing up bridges in his movies. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so if you're interested, I would say those five movies are all worth watching, to be honest. What, What do you think is your favorite scene from the movie? It's I knew this question was coming. I know there's a lot of there's a lot of like actually insane parts of this movie. I'm going to I'm going to say this. The whole from the second it hits the two hour mark. The 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 second act of the movie is a little bit less action. I hate even saying slower because it's interesting and there's things that are really important and gripping and captivating happening. But at that point, it's like the first act of the movie is setting up the characters. The second act of the movie is setting up the storyline. And the third act is all of it kind of coming to a head. Um, And the third act, starting at the two-hour mark, I'll say that the whole last hour or last almost hour or whatever it is, is collectively my favorite scene. It starts with the one-armed guy confronting Tuco in the bathhouse. Um, The shootout scene. Between- That's a classic scene. Dude, oh my god, bro! Insanely classic. The sh- the shootout scene between Bl- when Blondie and Tuco take on Angel Eyes' gang, then the bridge scene, and then the the brief like emotional moment where he finds a dying soldier and finds his his iconic poncho, and then the the final like climax of the movie. That whole hour is just it's fucked up how good it is, dude. So I didn't see this movie, but I've seen the bathtub scene before. That's yeah. like, that's like probably one of the most iconic scenes in the whole movie. Yeah. And it's funny because it's the most iconic scene in the movie and it's Tuco and not Blondie, which another funny fact about this movie is obviously Clint Eastwood is the highest build actor in the movie. And he's like, quote unquote, the main character, even though all three of the guys, the good, the bad and the ugly are all main characters. But Tuco actually has more time on screen than Blondie does. Yeah, this is it, he delivers most of the dialogue. Yeah, um, throughout the whole entire movie. Yeah, and I mean, there's there's just like beyond the, the and we've harped so much on the characters and and so much on the writing and like the script and the plot, but such an important aspect of this movie that like needs to be acknowledged as well is just like the, the, the cinematography and like the style as well as it's really important. The soundtrack is unfucking believable, dude. Oh yeah. We didn't even talk about the theme song. Dude, the theme song is it's so iconic that fucking... people, people who've never seen this movie what, or it's have a... no idea what it is. They associate it with, they associate that the like whistling riff with Westerns. Because of that, you know? Tarantino has used that before, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he has, and he's used like, like I'm pretty sure that the theme song has appeared. That dude, it's I mean, that's another piece of media that's been like fucking brought up throughout 
how many different TV shows, movies, like animated series, whatever, like that. The whistling riff is like all over the place. You've if you've never seen this movie, you've heard that riff. As soon as you put this movie on, you'll know what it is. Yeah, it's insane. Um, it's just like beyond the soundtrack though, to Sergio Leone's style of just like so. I've read a lot about how he went out of his way to find quote unquote interesting looking extras. Essentially, just like all these like weird looking motherfuckers who just look like cartoon <laughs> characters, you know what I mean? Because he's so emphatic on the movie does a, a ton of, and this is just Sergio Leone's style in all of his movies. He juxtaposes the super, super tight zoomed in shots where it's literally just the people's faces in the fucking frame with the crazy wide angle shots where they're just like barely a blip on the screen. You know what I mean? And he slams those fucking shots together to make it super dynamic. And so he went out of his way to be like, I've been doing these sort of shots for these fucking Westerns. I need all of these extras to have really animated, interesting looking faces. And that's why all of the extras are like fucking weird and like ugly and fucked up looking, you know? I mean, it's, kind of accurate for the time yeah they're all just like makes sense sweaty gross like shitty fucks you know yeah the only person that looks normal in the whole movie is literally clint eastwood yeah and clint eastwood and fucking blondie i mean uh clint eastwood and fucking angel eyes like lee van cleef and and clint eastwood are the only two like tuco is just like i mean he is the ugly but yeah tuco looks like a fucking rat bro like he's just a fucking cartoon you know Oh, that the, he, the that's the best way to describe him is he, he's literally a live cartoon. Yeah. Um. Another thing that's really fucking incredible that Sergio Leone does, um, in this movie that I think is so fucking cool, and I'd seen the movie a handful of times, and became really obsessed with it and started researching it and like learning things about it. And once this was pointed out to me, it made every rewatch so fucking cool. Sergio Leone made a conscious effort. To make it to where we, as the people view, as the viewer of the movie, we never see or know about anything that the characters don't know about. So, like, an example is the way Clint Eastwood steps in to save Tuco from the three bounty hunters at the beginning of the movie. Clint Eastwood is off screen. The three bounty hunters are about to shoot Tuco. And then you just, you hear Clint Eastwood's voice. And... They're all kind of like, huh? And then he steps on screen. Like we, as the viewer, don't know that he's there until all the characters know that he's there. Um, Another one, another example is when Angel Eyes and Blondie are traveling together and Blondie like finds out that Angel Eyes has a bunch of fucking guys like kind of following them, like his gang is following them. We don't see those guys off like in, in the bushes. They don't establish to us that those guys are there until Clint Eastwood like realizes they're there. And that's when it's presented to us. And so it kind of makes it this thing where it's like you're kind of finding out these things are happening as the characters are. And I think that that's a really cool way of having the story unfold. Next time I rewatch it, I'm going to have to keep that in mind because I didn't even realize that was a conscious effort. Yeah. The- the movie is just it really is like 
a masterpiece. Yeah, it is. It's. I'm not even a Western like a fan of a lot of westerns. It it really is a a, a masterpiece. Just the influence that this has had on the lineage of cinema as a whole, even to 2023, like is pretty insane. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Um, what was your favorite scene in the movie? I had two one is like a really short one it's like tuco is off just buying firearms at the arms dealer and it feels like a a side quest for like a video game almost i don't know why that scene was like very funny to me and like tuco's interaction with the arms dealer was pretty good just like yeah. testing the weapons out and shit uh that whole really is improvised really big fan of that that whole is scene it? Is improvised. yeah uh Eli Wallach doesn't know shit about guns. He does not know anything about guns. So all of his like weird kind of inspecting the weapons is all just like completely improvised and off the cuff. And then also when he takes the sign and sticks it in the um, shopkeeper's mouth, that part was also improvised. It wasn't in the script. The other best shot is the three-way standoff at the end and the the ending. Yeah. I mean, I feel like for a movie like this, the ending usually just fucking the ending usually doesn't live up to what the movie is building up to. And this is one of the rare examples where the ending of the movie is the best part. I think. Yeah. I did have that in my notes that there it's, you're watching this movie and it's this massive fucking epic, crazy adventure, like unfolding with all these fucking twists and turns. And these fucking characters are fucking, you know, like one up in each other and alliances are changing and whatever. And it's just so crazy. And as you're watching it, you're just like, there's no way that he could wrap this up in a way that feels satisfying. There's no way that the payoff could be good. And it, it, it is, it's fucking perfect. You know, an ending so good that Sergio Leone said, no, I don't want to do a sequel. Dude. Insane. Um, but yeah, that was that was. I'm just, glad that there's no sequel. There's no remake. Uh, yeah, they gotta leave it alone. Just you, you can't. This is just. It should. This is needs to remain untouched. To be honest with you, um, I'm on the same page as you. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is. It's just. I mean, the last thing I'll say, and we'll wrap it up because we're 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 hitting the hour mark, or probably over the hour mark now, but. The last thing that I can say is I could have gone on for a whole episode of just interesting facts and trivia about this movie and, you know, like the the shopkeeper scene being improvised or like there's a lot of really cursed shit that happened. Um, fucking Eli Wallach almost got like his he almost got like decapitated when they were filming the scene uh, where he puts his handcuffs on the train tracks because Sergio Leone insisted that Eli Wallach did it um, instead of having a stunt double do it. He's like, Oh, it'll be better. It'll be more authentic. Um, Eli Wallach almost also got really fucked up in the scene where Blondie shoots the rope when he's hanging, when they're doing their scam. Cause I guess the, the dynam the little dynamite charge in the rope that broke it scared the horse and the horse took off running for a mile. And Eli Wallach had his hands handcuffed behind his back. So he couldn't hold on to the horse. So he like almost got bucked off and like got fucked up. There's just so much interesting behind the scenes stuff about this movie. Um, there's like this whole thing about how like 
Clint Eastwood, the cigars that Clint Eastwood smoked made him really nauseous and he like hated smoking them. So he would get like really pissed off at whoever, if the scene like got fucked up and they had to keep redoing it. And if it was a scene that he had to smoke a cigar in. So like, he was just like, apparently was like telling people like, all right, this needs to get done in this take. Cause I'm so nauseous right now from these fucking cigars. Um, there's so much behind the scenes shit about this movie. And I was like looking through, uh, there was a lot of it that I already knew about just from like researching this movie over being years of being a super fan. But then there was like so much more stuff that I was finding too. And like, like I said, I could do a whole episode just based on that. But uh, I think if you're into the movie, you should definitely look into that. Cause a lot of it is really cool. And I love stuff like that. It makes the movie that much better to me. I wish I, I kind of like dug around more while watching the movie, but I didn't want to spoil anything for myself. Cause I, I really didn't know anything about it going in. And I feel like, if you got through this episode of the podcast, sorry, the movie got spoiled for you, but it's like, what, it's almost 70 years old at this point? Yeah, you should, you should, and I'm going to be honest, I feel like out of all the movies that we've done, other than maybe Shogun Assassin, or maybe Ricky O, this is probably the one that the people, that people have seen the least of, like, it's the, it's, like, everybody's seen Alien and the Thing, I can assume, and probably Dark City as well, but Dude, you you really need to fucking see this movie. Even like us talking about it and ruining things, spoiling things, it doesn't hold a candle to like what a masterpiece this is. So don't don't just fucking be like, oh, it's well, just go watch the fucking movie. You're gonna watch the movie and you're you're gonna have a totally different favorite scene from Lennon and I's perspective. One hundred percent. There's there's a lot in this movie that is highly rewatchable and enjoyable and it is also a much better movie than dark city will ever be oh my god it's so much better than dark city it passes the dark is it better than dark city test so there you go (laughs) all right well i guess that just about wraps it up you got anything you want to say i mean seriously watch this movie even from a historical standpoint on movies as a whole like it it's fascinating. It holds up in 2023. I've never watched it until a couple days ago, and I loved every second of it. It's just the best, dude. It's the fucking best. And it, for it almost being a three-hour-long movie, that says something. Straight up. All right, well, that about does it. Um, uh, next episode, we got Kyle Nyland on to... Uh, Talk about a movie with uh, a man who loves his family. You know, he really just loves family. Yep. We're doing uh, Fast Five? Fast Seven. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. So uh, thanks again, loyal listeners. We uh, really appreciate you. And uh, keep the emails and the DMs coming. Shit's been cool so far. And uh, once we get a good amount, we, we're going to hit a mailbag episode. So, Yeah, we're just banking shit right now. Send us messages on Instagram. Tag us and shit. We're going we're gonna to make stickers and shit soon. Maybe shirts. Yep. I'd like to do a huge poster. Yeah, that'd be cool. Because I love a fucking big-ass poster, but we'll figure that out within the next couple of weeks and get that all situated. Yep. All right. Thanks again. Till next time. Later.
Thanks, y'all. Peace.